Whilst you're waiting for the next episode of Travel, Food and Booze, have a listen to an episode of our previous podcast, Our Lives in Italy. Hello, Richard. I can hear you now. Can you hear me? Hey, success. Excellent. <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah, you're not alone in heating Zoom. Uh, we had <laughs> we had to use this to teach um, lessons for English remotely, and it's just yeah, it's it's so bad sometimes. It takes take longer to connect than uh, do what you want to do. <laughs> Ridiculous. Well, thank you again. Thank you for taking the time to join me today. That's brilliant. How are no you? Worries. How are I'm you? I'm good. Just just finished teaching three days there. And there are two more to go, and then we're done for the week. Okay, so what's it the five-day cross course? I think is it or uh, it's a um, five-day crumb. This one, so ah. it's uh, on, the, on, the, on the latest book, crumb. Yeah, so, yeah, uh, keep me busy. <laughs> and wearing yeah. a mask all day. Oh, so, God. yeah, nice. So, not very good, but I got my glass of red now, so I'm ready for you. Yes, I've just we've just received some um, Italian gin to taste. Oh, lot. very nice. Yeah, sort of um, flavoured with licorice and bergamot and lots of other yeah, yeah. things. So give that a try. But no, brilliant. Well, thank you very much for agreeing to be the first guest on the um, on the blog post. Um, sorry, on the first guest on the on the podcast. Um, as I said, I've known, sort of, been a follower of you on Twitter for some time. I did yeah. a course with you. I think two day course. Long. Ten years ago. Yeah, 10, 10 years ago. So, you know, I need a refresh on my stuff. So, have you practiced since? Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My wife, my wife is far, is the far better cook, but, you know, it's sort of, okay. but definitely sort of a bread's my domain. Sort of, it's, um, I've got book now, The Italian Baker. So I'm just plowing through that at the moment to try. Yeah. All- which is good but now still using your techniques which is good making my bread a lot better okay brilliant so i thought what we do is we just go through the questions that are put on because he said it's so much easier to do it this way okay brilliant thank you okay so first came across you in your first book and dough okay yeah completely revolutionized the way that i i make bread so it's yeah. that sort of you found your love for bread when you were a child, okay? So well, it, was, it, was, <laughs> it was that love. Uh, I was not very good at school, so I had to leave school early and I had to work with my hands. Yeah. And the only job I could do was baking. So when you're 16 or 14, 15, and you work in a bakery all the time, you don't love your job. It just becomes part of you. But all your mates are working in a garage and they all got Friday and Saturday off and you work your nuts off. <laughs> in the bakery. Trust me, you don't like your job much, but it become part of you and you can't you can't deny it after that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so yeah. The the you know, if you want a nine to five job, you definitely don't become a baker, that's for certain. No, for sure. Yeah, that's for sure. Cool. Okay. Um, you know, I I, I sort of started with my sort of love affair with bread after, you know, having to taste all the horrible sort of prepackaged sort of Chorleywood bread processed muck that we get in England. Um, do you think there's sort of a different attitude regarding bread um, between the UK and sort of other European countries like France and, and where I live in Italy at the moment, for example? Um, there's a different attitude to bread because the way we use bread is very different. It's uh, If you go to France or Italy or Spain or 
in this country, the first thing we serve you is bread on the table. And you, you would never dream to sit for lunch or dinner in France, for example, without bread on the table. Bread is part of your daily life. It's like, um, it's like asking, you know, if you're in the morning before you leave home, who's going to buy the bread for lunch? Who's going to buy the bread for dinner? It's part of your daily life. Bread in in UK is getting better, but it's still something you treat yourself for the weekend. And so, you know, Friday to Saturday and Sunday, you might get a nice loaf from the baker, but Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, still other people will buy the white sliced loaf, you know, full of chemical in there because it's convenient. So we don't have the same culture on bread uh, as we do in France. And the British love good bread. Now they go to France and the first thing they do every morning for two weeks every day is buy the bread in the morning yeah is and maybe two or three times a day so we want good bread but we're not ready to change our lifestyle to go to the bakery every morning once because there's no bakery on your doorstep like there is in france of course it's a different way of buying bread um so it's a it's changed a lot but still and will never be the same because we the way we eat in in, in britain is very different from the way we eat in, uh, in France or, uh, or, or in Italy or anything like that. But, you know, it's a myth also that all the bread are good in Italy or France or, or Spain. There's a lot of bad bread around there, you know. It's, uh, it's, um, it's um, I, I, as a British, uh, people when they go on holiday, they got that holiday mentality. So everything is better, you know. But uh, <laughs> uh, it's, uh, it's uh, life is always better when you're on holiday with a bottle of wine, you know. It's, uh, Um, uh, it's part of your pleasure you get up in the morning go to the bakery you've done your work for the day you know Uh, but you will never do that in this country so it's a it's changing a lot you know and um, but to change that white slice bread mentality will take will take a long 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 time uh, in UK and my dream when I first arrived in UK when I tried my first white slice loaf I thought what the hell is that you know what I mean I don't want to eat that shit. It's like plastic bread. And the French love it. You know, a lot of French love that white slice soft bread. You go to Italy, it's the same. Pan me, very cheaply made on big scale. They, they love that. But my dream was always to relaunch sliced bread in UK and to relaunch, uh, uh, to have um, uh, my, my, my name on the shelf with a big loaf of bread, one kilo loaf, with just three ingredients, like uh, water, flour, and salt. That's all. And yeah. we've done that with the, with the bakery. Uh, so it's a, um, it's about choice also, you know, it's, um, um, some people can't afford good bread and they, they need to feed their family every day. So if you can buy your loaf of bread for 50p, of course you can do that to feed your family, you know, so we, we can't make buying bread being snob about it, you know, yeah, it'd be great if you ever eat uh, good bread every day, but it would not happen. People buy cheap chicken, people buy cheap food because, the way we live our life is very, very different, you know. So I always say, but if you can afford to buy good bread, buy good bread. But, you know, um, and knowledge also, you know, people go on to buy fine, uh, cheap sliced bread, but they don't know what's in there because it's convenience. It's about convenience all the time. It's like tea bag. You know, you could make your own tea and brew your own tea with herbs and everything. But why would you do that when you can get a tea bag in your cup and just and have it done, you know. So convenience is a big thing in UK. It's uh, the speed of life uh, is, is crazy. Wow. And what we saw with, with uh, uh, <coughs> the virus is people slowing down a bit more and a bit more of an interest on making your own stuff at home and, and stop eating crap fast and, and paying a lot of money for, for junk food all the time. So I think 
one of the silver lining over the virus is a lot of people uh, taking time to understand a bit more about what they're eating and fell in love again with, uh, with baking and make their own bread and realize there's, um, there's a big difference to make your own bread and appreciate it and wasting it than to buy uh, white crap, you know, from uh, who, who make you bloated. So it will take a long time to change completely the mentality, but we're getting there. You know, you've got, um, when I think where UK was 35 years ago and where we are now, you eat so well in here. You know, I get frustrated when I go to France because yeah. the food is not, you got the best ingredient in France, but I don't know what's happened between the, the market and then the restaurants, it disappears somewhere. You know, the restaurant <laughs> still needs shit tomato and stuff like that. It drives me bonkers. You know, uh, because they all to cut um, cut cost everywhere, uh, so they buy the cheap stuff, which is 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 sad, you know. But uh, if you go to the market, you get inspired by the food, the smell, you know, your instincts are all kicking up. And if you're in Italy, you you see it. Food is such more in Italy than in France. I think food is such a big part of life. Even if you're poor, you still eat well. You know, mm. uh, you will still take time to open a bottle of wine and receive people and make some simple pasta, but there will be bloody wonderful pasta, you know? Um, so it's a, it's a different way of, of looking at food and what food does to the soul, really. Uh, yeah, yeah I'd, I'd, I'd agree, definitely. You know, it, we've noticed sort of, you know, we've been lucky enough to travel throughout Europe and now sort of to, to live in Italy. You know, you, you see there's just a, a, a sea change in, in the different mentality sort of, you know, regarding food between the two countries. So you see in England, you know, England, English people perhaps maybe travel an hour or two to work in the morning, an hour yeah. or two when they get back. And the first thing they want to do is just basically to put some fuel in their body um, and then put, pop themselves down in front of the TV. But, you know, here in Italy, like you said, you know, they, like in France, they use food, wine you know anything like that to sort of use it as a as a method of sort of getting all together getting the family together sitting down to relax to sort of chew the fat of the day um yeah. you know one of the things where you said that you know maybe one of the um one of the good things about the virus is you said people slowing down realizing having the time to sort of reflect uh one of my friends has has a bucket list they've got which is sort of 60 things to do before they're 60. And one 60, of the, but yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things that they wanted to do was to, was to learn how to make their own bread. Um, yeah. And when they were visiting here in Italy before all COVID happened, you know, I was explaining to them, you know, how very few ingredients you need and how, not easy, but, you know, not how, it's not difficult to make your own bread if you've got the time to do it. So they were just completely amazed by the, by the sort of, you know, the lack of effort that you have to put into it. You know, sort of, it's not something that takes up your whole day if you, no. if you shop for yeast. Obviously, sourdough is something completely different. Um, um, and obviously, sort of, you know, on Twitter at the moment, you've got all the posts about sourdough month done by the Real Bread campaign as well, which is yeah. good. Um, yeah, sourdough is where I need to brush up my technique. Definitely haven't got that sorted. But my, my only problem with sourdough is everybody wants to make sourdough, and you probably because the way you just said, "Oh, sourdough, I need to brush my technique," is is become fashionable. So everybody feel like I don't make sourdough, I'm missing out, or I need to make sourdough, and because I'm not worth it, you know. Bread is bread. Make good bread. Don't worry about sourdough. You know, sourdough is easy in a way. It's uh, 
it's become fashionable. That's the problem. I always say, if you want to make sourdough, you need to grow a beard. I'm working on it. You need to have <laughs> tattoos. You need to have tattoos everywhere. And look like a hipster. If you if you're a hipster, you make sourdough now. You know, <laughs> it's uh, it is gone. You know, and when if you ask if you say the word bread in any people do the English. Everybody knows the ingredient to make bread with. And that's the only food in the world people know the ingredient. If I ask you tomorrow to make me a, a seafood risotto, you need a recipe. Yeah. If you need to make a burger burger, you need a recipe. Bread, flour, water, salt. That's it. You know? And it's all about skill. It's about uh, understanding what's going on with your ingredients. Uh, and that's, that's the beauty of it. But um, yeah, sourdough is a bit of a fashion, fashion curse at the moment, I think. More, more than ever, you know, make good, make good bread slowly and you'll be fine. Yeah, like you said, sort of maybe, you know, as with anything, start with the basics, get a good loaf of bread done and then sort of, you know, if you yeah. want to sort of move it on from there. Because it, it was quite funny when COVID hit here in March. Obviously, I was looking at the news reports of everybody in England sort of panic buying toilet rolls. The things that's, that you couldn't get for love nor money over in, in Italy was minestrone and fresh yeast. Yeah. Nowhere, absolutely nowhere, completely sold out. So it's, you know, so you say it's a completely different attitude. But so, um, yeah, obviously, I've had the pleasure of doing one of your two day courses at your lovely bakery school in Bath. So, what, what eventually brought you to the UK? Why did you decide to come to the UK and open up your cookery school and your bakery? Oh, bloody hell, that's a long time ago. I came in England <laughs> for two weeks to read that. I came in England for two weeks earlier because of a girl, you know, so I uh, uh, followed a girl around and uh, I came, then she left me, so I stayed in England. Um, and after three or four weeks, uh, I ran out of money, so I thought, shit, I need, I need to find a job. So that's how it started. On those days, it was easy to do that. Um, I spent a month, two months, three months, six months, and my life started there. So um, it's funny, I fell in love with it, you know, I, I loved, that was back in 88. So I had nothing to do in France, you know, and, and I knew I needed something different. I needed to, to, to become a new person. And the only way you can do that is move country because nobody, as a French person, when you come to UK, you don't belong to any class. You're not a middle class, you're not upper class, you're not whatever class it is, you're a French man. So everybody asks you, I could cook already. So yes, a little bit, but not much. And, you know, is, um, it was funny. And when I, I remember I went to a party once and uh, of my, my girlfriend at the time, her father was a lawyer, so very posh. And um, I went to din um, a dinner party at uh, her house and everybody was on bloody black tie and all stuff. I was in my pair of jeans looking like <laughs> a real lemon. And um, one of the, oh, I've been cigars and cognac and everything. And I felt I feel really uh, in a bad thing. And somebody came to me and said, so what do you do for a living? And I said, well, I'm a, I'm a baker with my French accent. He said, oh, jolly good. So which bank are you working with? I said, no, no, I make bread. I'm a baker. I'm not a banker, a baker. And he looked at me very blankly and walked out. Not a word, nothing, you know. Now, if you say you're, you're, a, ba you're a banker, nobody wants to, to talk to you. If you say you're a baker, everybody loves what you're doing. So it's changed a lot over the years, you know. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's amazing how people see the, the world of bread now. Everybody's interested in it. Yeah, okay, brilliant. So w when you're doing your classes at um, the, the school, what do you think is the most important thing that you teach them? 
and to show the those bus. Yeah. To make them understand that if uh, you fear the door, the door will stick to you. So you must not fear the door. It's take control of the door. When I first started in the bakery, I learned to clean. I learned to to respect my environment, and then I was allowed to touch the door. And when the doors, the first time I touched the door, it stuck to me. And my boss used to say in French, "Il faut maîtriser la patte," which means in, in English, "Show the door, boss." Master the door. Mm. If you're scared of it, then the door will stick to you. So if you master the basic, then you can move on. Yeah. Doesn't matter if it's sourdough, croissant, anything like that. Master the basic first. Yeah. And so I have to admit, so so that's that, I think that that was one of my problems when I first started as well. You know, I was forever screaming from the kitchen for my wife's help, and she's just wandering with me covered in bread dough from sort of head to foot. But you know, it's, it's as you said, it sort of does with with practice sort of come naturally eventually. Um, yeah. one, of the, one of the things that I'd never sort of seen live in action, obviously I'd seen it on the DVD that came with your first book, was the, the different technique that you have for working the dough um, after the ingredients are first mixed. So the best way I can describe it, sort of like a, a slap and fold rather than the English yeah. sort of knead with, with, the, with the heel of your hand. I mean, is this your, your particular technique or is it sort of used a lot by French bakers? If you look at my last book, uh, Crumb, the story of this technique is in there. Mm. Back in France, in, uh, we stopped kneading and bashing the dough to death. We started to understand dough back in 1765. So we knew kneading and, and being harsh with the dough was bad for it. So from then on, we started to add different techniques where we started adding more air and more water into the dough. Mm. Because back on those days, in Italy, in France, Brittany, anywhere you wanted, the bread was very heavy and dense because the bread had to last for a very long time. But what the problem was with the bread on those days, the bread was so heavy that people couldn't digest it. It was too dense. So they had to change a way of making the dough. So this technique I use is based on those days mm. when we used to mix the dough in a, big, in a, in a massive big uh, trough and then the dough was um, mixed together all the ingredients. Then the dough was cut in big lump and thrown near the side of the trough and then stretch and then fold it over itself to get more air into it. The dough maker would take about two hours to mix the dough. It was such a hard job to do on those days. It was very, very hard. And until you had power to have electricity to, to make your mixer going, it, it was a very, very hard job. So um, my technique is what I've done when, when I wrote my first book was to readapt that technique into home baking. Because when I first read my first English baking book, I couldn't understand the way they were making bread. Like you said, they're kneading stuff, whatever. That's not the, what a mixer does. A mixer doesn't do that. i never seen a mixer pushing the dough like that and adding more flour to it. So it never makes sense to me. Mm. So when I wrote my book, my idea was always to write a book, to go back to the basic, to explain how to make the, base, the basic right. So people get confidence of making the dough. So it's, um, this technique is called the Bertinet technique now, and people refer to it as a slap and fold, and it's copied in different ways, but that's the way, that's where it started, really. Uh, it's ready to go back to the basics. So when you start with a recipe, you stick to that recipe. You don't start adding more flour to it mm. because you're scared of the stress. So it's to understand that dough feel, really. Uh, I mean, now that sort of, you know, I've used it for a while, you know, I can't understand that you said people sort of, adding more flour to it because it sticks and then 
and then knock, and then the second time, sort of knocking the air out of it that you've, you've, you know, you've developed yeah. in the first proof. But um, okay, just to, just to some other questions, but not sort of regarding bread. Obviously, you know, when I came down for the first course that I did with you, I, I realised obviously you're a big fan of rugby, and obviously see your tweets about Bath rugby sort of every time. But um, so how come? Yeah, how come a Frenchman's more of a fan of rugby than, than football? What is it about rugby that you love? Um, I used to throw football a little bit before, but um, I remember my, my primary school, when I was at school, um, on the other side of the road, there was a, a rugby pitch. I always remember seeing the, the rugby post for my home team in, uh, in Van from Brittany. And Brittany had never been a big rugby, the rugby thing. Um, so I don't know, rugby was always in my, in my blood. It's something I love about rugby. The, uh, and when I joined the army, when I was in the army, uh, we didn't play football. We just, uh, we just played kind of um, what we call Breton rugby. So <laughs> it was moving the ball from one side. It's a bit of the calcio in, uh, in Italy. You know that thing they do in Florence? Yes. You know, uh, Italy, yeah, have you seen that? It's in crazy stuff. So in Brittany, there's what we call La Sule which is a very old rugby style where they used to play from village to village. They had to move ahead of a ship or, or whatever it was. Mm. So very often we used to play that in the army where you had a big pitch and you move one ball, no rules except headbutting. And, you know, so it was a kind of physical, physical way of doing things. Um, but you had, it was kind of very manly, which is the wrong thing to say, but it was a very kind of... Uh, blow your steam out and, and to, in a kind of, um, with a, a kind of rules, but very loose rule, if you know, there's, there's yeah. a bit of fighting or, or there were some rules you obey and, and whoever won at the end, you know, you, you shake hand and you move on. And rugby has, has got the ethos of, uh, of that. I love rugby for that because the battle is on the pitch. The battle is done um, very harsh and very hard. But after that, you shake hands and you, you, you forget everything. You have a beer together. Mm. And I've been coaching rugby now for, for many years in Bath as well. So rugby has been in my life since I'm in, uh, I'm, uh, I'm in Bath. And by coaching the kids from the age of five or six, you teach them the ethos of respect. And that's what I love about rugby. You know, it's a, if you, you know, Italy playing England or France or whatever, they play really hard. You know, we know Italy has got a fine chance of winning sometime, but if they lose, they still have respect about it, which is great, you know? And it's, um, when, I, when I watch football now, I just feel so demoralized by, by the, the mentality of uh, overpaid and, you know, whinging and faking and everything else. It's everything I despise about, about the human race, really, you know? It's yeah. a, try to get advantage by cheating. And I really, really hate that, you know? And there's cheating going on rugby, but not the same at all when you see the wedge and everything else and and when you play for a team the whole team the whole team work together is, is magical and Bath I, I do a lot of coaching for the team in here the first team so I train them at the kitchen we do stuff team building a lot of players are very good friends um, and a, a very good player who played for for Bath who went to play for France now playing for my home team in Brittany which I'm so so shocked so uh, it's it's an amazing, an amazing, good ethos uh, sport, which I, I really really enjoy. And when Bath play at home, I always got a flag outside the cooking school, 
and um, I love going to the rec. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a, when you're part of a city when the stadium is in the city. You know, the hard the heartbeats of uh, of the city is there. So I love that. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, the rugby is a good part. Yeah, I'd, I'd sort of agree with you. I mean, you know, football. You know, I I just get cheesed off with it now. I was watching the England match last night, and I just switched it off at half time because I was just. Did they win or did they lose? Um, no, nil nil, nil nil against Denmark. But I was just spending so much time shouting at the TV. Just, I'm clearly not enjoying this. But um, yeah, but, it's frustrating. Yeah, but it's, it's a sense sort of you know football's got the divisive sort of atmosphere, where there's rugby sort of more inclusive. You know, where we used to live in in Italy up in Piacenza, we were 20 minutes walk away from the local rugby ground where they were playing in the second division of the local of, of yeah. Italian rugby. You know, you wander along there, sort of um, crowds maybe about 100, 150. Um, and within two weeks, we changed from the strange English people that everybody ignored to having everybody buying sort of massive vats of wine for us every week. So, you know, yeah, it's, it's great. But um, I'm mm. glad, that, glad the Six Nations is starting again because the plan was that we were going to go and watch Italy against England before, obviously, the <laughs> COVID stuff hit. Um, we, were looking, we were looking forward to going back. The last one we got to see it the Stadio Olimpico in Rome was Italy versus France. Um, yeah, yeah. And even though you're a Frenchman, Richard, we had to sort of support our adopted country for that particular day. Absolutely, absolutely. So, you should. Yeah. You should always. Yeah, I, so. I'm torn every time. If I go to Twickenham, I'm torn between France and England. You yeah. Because yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I know a lot of the, the, the English player, and, you know, I'm so torn because I'm so close to, to my home, uh, home in here. So it's like... So the last time on Twickenham, I had a, a French top, I had an English top with the roses in it and a bath hat. So I cover all my anger all the time. <laughs> Just cover all bases. But that's, that, that's rugby. You can do that in rugby. You can't do that in football. You know, it's, uh, you know, I always said, you, if you're in deep trouble and you work in a pub and you need somebody to help you, if it's somebody with a rugby shirt, that guy will help you. If, somebody with a, if you got somebody with a... A football shirt, you just think, oh, bloody hell. <laughs> it's very different on territory. Yeah. So it's, uh, but it's, it's, it's a sort of, um, we remember when we saw that we went to that Italy and France match. We're all sort of going along in our various sort of Italian sort of tops. And we had an Afro one with, with the Italian flags, so red, white and green. Um, and it wasn't until we got into the, into the ground that we realised that our seats were in the middle of all the French fans. So, <laughs> so it's that everybody's like, you know, all good natured, everybody, so you know, a few of them yeah, yeah, yeah. beforehand. That's the way it should be. Yeah. yeah. So it was, it was all good natured, but then obviously, French national anthem first before the kickoff, and then the Italian national anthem started. So we stood up, and then it was only then that we realized there was about 500 mobile phone cameras trained on us. And then we looked up to see our faces on the big screen in the Stadio Olimpico as well. <laughs> So it's like, oh, right, okay. So we, we so I had to pretend like we're singing hymns in the school assembly, sort of mouthing the words silently and not having a clue what we were singing. But, but yeah, can't, yeah, yeah, can't wait for the international rugby to start ticking off the days as we're doing it. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. And uh, I think it's, uh, rugby's got so many good things about it. You know, it's, uh, it's better than football anyway, so that's fine. <laughs> I completely agree. And my wife would... would agree with you 100% but 
Okay, so just some sort of quick random questions just to, just to finish it off. Um, okay, so what three ingredients or foods do you always have to have in your house? Oh, God, butter. Yeah. Pasta. Okay. <laughs> and bread, of course. Oh, obviously. You forget bread and butter. Yeah, I, I always run out of bloody bread. I never got bread in my house. I make bread all the time. I never <laughs> bread in my house. Yeah, your wife goes, did you pick so, any bread, Richard? Oh, bloody hell, I forgot yeah. that. But that's the ingredient. Of course, plenty of wine as well, so I'm safe. Okay, exactly. Bread, wine, and pasta, that's a meal in itself. But yeah. um, Okay. Um, I've never been one of, one of these people who sort of has a, has a drawer full of, of kitchen gadgets. Yeah, because um, I believe so. Like they're just just a waste of cash. You use them once and just never use them again. Do you have? I agree. A, yeah. Do you have a particularly favourite kitchen toy that you you use or you couldn't be without? You know, I'm thinking um, of yeah, like, uh, the bench scraper for starters. Yeah, I've got my scraper. I've got one. I must have one in my pocket somewhere. There was one somewhere I knew earlier. There's always scraper around. There was one there. I think. But yeah, scraper, a plastic scraper. I always got one. Uh, I use it uh, at home. But um, I think my favorite one at home when I'm cooking with is, uh, yeah, knife. You got knife, you know, it's fine. I got a, a 1950s um, a fish slice, which is, a, you can't find them anymore. And mm. they are nice and wide. And with a, you know, it's like a, like a fork. And it's the most practical thing if I do steak, fish, or whatever, all the time. So, you know, it's, um, Nothing fancy, like you said, you know, if I got one knife, I'm happy, and uh, my fish slice, my scraper for my dough, I'm very happy. <laughs> okay, just, just one final question then. Okay, um, imagine you've got a dinner party, okay? You've yeah. got four people, you can invite four people to that dinner party. Um, can be anybody alive or dead. So who, yeah. would you, who would you have at your ideal dinner party? My wife and three kids, definitely, because every dinner uh, we sit down together, it's precious, you know, because the kids growing, they leave home and, and you realize when they leave that the time you had together was so precious and cooking for them is the greatest pleasure you can get, you know, so my son's coming up from uni on Thursday, I can't wait to cook and to have everybody sit around the table. Yeah, it'd be nice to have, you know, I've got plenty of friends, chefs or whatever, and it's great fun, but, you know, the... When you, when you look back in time, is those days you spend with your family, your, your close one, and chatting about things, life, or whatever, the, those times, those kids will remember that as well. So, you know, yeah, it's nice to have famous people around, you know, and I've cooked for some, uh, I ate, ate with plenty of them. You know, I went for a Chinese with Ken Home. We went for a Chinese in town with Ken Home. That's amazing. But, you know, that's, that's anecdotal. That's quite good fun. But if you look deep down inside you, who would you like around you? I think it's your family now. And my three kids and my wife. And when we sit together, we have a bottle of wine and we chat and everything else. It's, it's wonderful because I want them to experience the same with their kids one day. If you don't put that into them, they won't do it. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, it's important for, for the family and, and for, for their future to be able to understand and appreciate to spend that time eating together when somebody spend time cooking for them to understand it and you know from 
the kitchen is your engine of the house. It's the same in Italy, same in France. And back in the old days, you spend a lot of time in the kitchen, more time in the kitchen than you spend anywhere else. And then that's where you solve your problem. So if your daughter had something to say to you, whatever, you do it in the kitchen. You chat when you do something. My son, if they want to talk to me, I'm always in the kitchen. So they come and chat to me there. So the kitchen's got, it's, it's got the memory of all your life all the time. The, the good, the bad, and your party, when you throw a party at home, everybody ends up in the kitchen. If I cook at home, my friends come in the kitchen, we cook together. So I think, you know, you can have the most glamorous person in the world that you admire, you know, and would you have good memory out of it? It'd be nice, but I think your roots and your family at heart is the one who matters. And so I think, yeah, I was thinking about the question you sent me. I thought, actually, I quite enjoy going home tonight, cook for them, you know, and sit together. And when my son's coming up from uni, he'd be there. And if it's one night when he's not going out with his mates, then that day we all eat together, we'll appreciate it. Because yeah. that's what we used to do from early age. So it's um, it's a funny question, but at the same time, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a simple question, yeah, if that yeah. makes sense. No, 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 I agree. I think it's, you know, it's, that's, that's a fabulous way of putting it, really. Sort of it goes full circle to what we were talking about at the start. So, you know, sort of taking the time out to sort of cook good food for your family, to sit down, just to take the time to relax and just sort of chew the fat for the yeah. Brilliant. Okay. Well, thank you very much for talking to me, Richard, today. That's brilliant. Thank uh, you. My pleasure. Nice to see you. Excellent. Cool.